Welcome to the Kings Insider Podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. I am James Ham, and joining me today, I know I see this on occasion, there there are a couple of guys that stand out to me that not only are they Sacramento legends, but they're the people that you really, you're glad you met in your life. They're, uh, they're genuine people, and behind the scenes, they're even better than the incredible product that they've done in front of the camera or in front of a... A microphone. So today we're we're bringing back Gary Gerald, the longtime voice of the Sacramento Kings. G man, how are you? James, I'm I'm good. I appreciate that very kind introduction. I think you've got to st- set the uh, legend standard maybe just a little bit higher. But uh, <laughs> all is good. All is good. You're back this season, and what is this? Is this 34 or 35? This is 35, yep, since the Kings joined uh, the Sacramento scene in 1985. This will be the 35th season. So I guess that officially means I am now old, but I still enjoy what I do, and I'm blessed to have the opportunity, and I'm I'm excited. I'm looking forward to another adventure. You know, that's what it feels like this year. It feels like an adventure. Um, the last, you know, a decade that I've got to cover – um, it doesn't always feel like an adventure, or at least the adventure um, isn't the type of adventure that you'd want to go on. It's <laughs> it's one of those adventures that you're looking at, and you're like, man, that looks like rain. Um, but what is it about this particular season that you're excited to, to see and you're excited to be part of? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, in the years, and, and you can relate, uh, the reference I frequently use is we've been wandering in the desert for a long time. And finally, I think over the last couple of years, uh, a legitimate foundation is in the process of being built. And it's exciting to see the young core of players that uh, have shown great promise over the last couple of seasons. And now to have the roster augmented with some veteran experience and more talent. And uh, the term that I have used uh, in the, over the last season was one of rejuvenation. And I think that uh, it started to reward longtime Kings fans. And fans are amazing. I mean, even while you're wandering in the desert, they're still strong with their support. And and we're really blessed in, in that respect. But it's exciting to see and to think about, you know, what the future may hold with this group. And I, I think that that's what all of us, it's one of anticipation. And yet you have to have, a, I believe, a sense of reality because as we all know, the Western Conference is just loaded. It is so doggone tough. And certainly during the offseason, the teams that weren't in the playoffs have gone to great lengths to take uh, some big, big strides in getting even better and better. So the bottom line to me, James, is that there will not be any easy nights in the Western Conference. There won't be any off nights. You're going to have to dig and scratch and claw, and you're going to have to do it as best you can 82 times over the course of the season. It, it really does feel like this season, um, you know, the Kings took a huge stride forward right at the beginning of free agency. And then 
all of these wild transactions happened. Have you ever seen the league like change and morph? And you know, because we've got to some of these um, these All Star breaks where you know the trade deadline's coming and there's so much anticipation and everyone's talking about this guy could get traded, and this guy, and then you get there and it's like three minor transactions that are like the the twelfth guy on a roster, and then we get to this off season. And it's just one haymaker after another after another, and guy teams reloading and and changing and trying to morph into something different. And I, it just feels like this summer, um, the league is just like really it's off its rails. It's been completely redesigned by some mastermind behind the scenes that said, "Hey, let's move this piece to here and here." Absolutely unprecedented. I, I've never seen anything remotely close to it in my my years of association in the NBA. And we knew it was going to be, I think there was a sense that, yeah, this could be, this could be significant. It could be different, but I don't know that anybody really had a, had a preview of the scope and the depth of the changes. And I don't know what the final numbers were, but I know that in that first week from June 30th and that first week in July, and you talk about haymakers, I mean, they were coming by the hour and I, there were something, I think there were over 220 players that were eligible to be moved. And I don't know what the final number was, but it was well over half of that total. And so when you think that there are what, 450 ish players in the NBA, that's a staggering amount of change. And it's, it's hard to, to get a real grasp or a handle on it. And of course, as we get closer to training camp in the preseason and, and into the regular season in mid October, um, we'll have a, a little better idea of how things are stacking up, but I know that there there aren't many rosters that are even remotely close to looking like they did at the end of last season. Yeah, even you know the Portland Trail Trailblazers, a team that went to the Western Conference Finals, which was, uh, in my opinion, it was slightly fluky that they made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals. But either way, they were there. Um, they're a completely different team. I mean, they lost Alfaro Camino, they lost Mo Harkless. Uh, it, Yusuf Nurkic, of course, is out for half the season, but uh, Myers Leonard, they deal. They they bring in Hassan Whiteside, but then not a lot of other pieces. Um, you know, and that's that's a team that made small tweaks in the grand scheme of things. You know, adding right, yeah, you know, a, a former All Star big, a, and then you have teams like the Lakers and the Clippers that just went out and really, really uh, improved themselves. Teams like the Golden State Warriors that went from being a perennial. Uh, championship contender to probably not. And uh, I think it's just been a a wild uh, ride to see, you know, and again, like covering it, that, that first window of free agency, I've never seen anything like it. It's almost like Adrian Wojnarowski had a, a Google Doc open with tweets, like 50 tweets that he was going to line up and he just copy and paste and hit tweet and then copy and paste and hit tweet. Um, it was just absolutely remarkable. Um, what do you make of, of the Kings transactions? Because the Kings were as busy as really as anyone. I mean, what they were able to do, they, they brought in what four or five like rotational pieces that will play basketball this year for them. Uh, not just additions that, you know, down the road or something. They made some of those as well. But what do you make of, of the additions, the Dwayne Dedman, the Corey Joseph, the 
uh, Rashawn, uh, well, I always want to say Rashawn McCants, Rashawn Holmes, um, and uh, Trevor Ariza. I mean, they made some really substantive changes. Well, to me, the thing that immediately looks to be improved would just be the depth. And you've touched on it because with the addition of, of those players that you mentioned, and you look at that core group of, of De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, uh, Marvin Bagley, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, I mean, Yogi Ferrell, uh, Nemanja Bialica. I mean, they're just uh, an interesting core group. And then you add these pieces. So to me, the depth appears to be significantly better. And among the new acquisitions, I, you know, there's some pretty good defensive players in that group, particularly Corey Joseph and, and Trevor Ariza in my mind. And so you hope that it, it makes the Kings stronger uh, defensively. But then the, the realism of the Western Conference that we've touched on, uh, Sacramento had 39 wins last year. That was up 12 from the previous year. That's a huge jump. Yes. But it took 48 wins to get into the playoffs in the Western Conference. And I don't remember the number from two years ago, but it was in the high 40s. It may have been 47 or 48 then. So when you look at things, you say, okay, how are you going to improve another nine or 10 games to possibly ensure the fact that you make the playoffs? It's a huge challenge and a huge assignment. But it's it's exciting to think that, okay, this team is deeper. This team should be better defensively. Then you factor in a whole new coaching staff and you wonder about chemistry and how things are going to, you know, galvanize and come together. Uh, It's intriguing, but it's exciting at the same time. All right. So I've watched some of your preparation. I've seen your folders that you, you bring. I've also seen like, you know, Greg Popovich has a coaching tree. Pat Riley has a coaching tree. I think Gary Gerald has a broadcasting tree um, <laughs> of guys who, who emulate some of the things that you do, the way that you study and prepare. And I, I think it's interesting because um, not knowing is to see behind the scenes of, of what you do to prepare. And, you know, I think we each have our different processes. For me, um, I'm so inundated with uh, and saturated with the the actual writing side of it that I don't have like the preparation for the actual my preparation is different than yours because I just keep bearing more and more information in, uh, and then and then we talk about what I just wrote and so so for me my process is, is different but uh, you have these like manila folders that you fold out that have all of this so what does this mean for you this season it's not like you can just grab your lakers file and say hey i'm just gonna bring last year's because it's pretty much the same team this is a whole new world right well it is it is a whole new world and and the reason that i have those those folders and fingertip information is because i don't have a mind that retains uh, all these things and especially you know as we age it seems like you're you're your cranium is so jammed with information and knowledge and then you lose sight of different things. So I, I have to have reminders, which I put at my fingertips. So I prepare these for each team, each season. And the first time around is it take, it's more time consuming and time demanding just because of new faces updates, one thing or another, but I want to have that, you know, at my disposal. So it's a, it's going to be interesting, you know, going through media guides and one thing or another and, and just taking a look at 
it, some of the the pure basics for each and every roster. And, and you know, you talk about the information and the preparation and all the writing that you do. Um, I, it was an interesting article I read in The Athletic yesterday that Jason Jones had done on, on De'Aaron Fox mm-hmm. and the business of him trying to, you know, put on a little more weight, become a little bit stronger, and still, you know, maintain his quickness and speed that's his trademark. And to me, it was so interesting to read about the fact that he's trying to put down you know, 4,500 to 5,000 calories a day, his metabolism must be extraordinarily high because he still looks spindly and he's got, you know, kind of those skinny little pins that he runs around on. And, you know, I was worried in the first year that De'Aaron came to the Kings in the NBA and I'm thinking, man, is he going to be able to, to stand up to the physicality of the game? And as we all know who follow the Kings, he took an unusual high amount of punishment, I think. And teams try to exploit that. And of course, you know, Sacramento would do the same thing. Anything you can do to slow him down is a great challenge for any opponent. But the fact that he's working diligently and trying to expand his game and to take it to another level, um, I just find fascinating. Well, then how do you find a way to steer little tidbits of information like that into your game night prep or into an actual broadcast that that's kind of the challenge from a broadcaster's standpoint just as if as you do you you have both sides you write and you're a broadcaster as well so i mean you know what that's that's like and some nights you scratch and dig for information and other nights it's just like man we need another half hour to try to Mm -hmm. to try to get some of this good stuff out there so that fans who who want to be watching or listening or whatever can can be in tune with what's going on. You know, I've spent a lot of time with De'Aaron Fox over the last two weeks. Uh, I was in Las Vegas at Team USA, um, and then I was in LA at Team USA. And number one, uh, you can see it. He is noticeably bigger in his upper body. And you could see it last year too. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, the Kings have had workout warriors in the past. I remember Aaron Aflalo was a guy that like, he takes his you know, he takes his shirt off and you're like, okay, welcome to the gun show. You know, he's a dude who works out. I I think Yogi Ferrell is a guy that, that is, you know, relatively stacked. And I I find it interesting. I talked to people about this. I I went down and covered A's uh, last year and I I went in the locker room, I don't know, five or six times. And I was like blown away by how every single baseball player that you walk up to is absolutely yoked. They don't look like it on TV they all have, they're all just built. Um, and, and I mean, Josh Fegley, the A's catcher, his, his calves are like the size of my head. Um, you know, so, <laughs> so you're looking at these guys, but I, I watch Fox and you're right. He, he does have these long lean legs um, that, that are built for speed, uh, but he's done a lot of work on his upper body. And for me, this is something, I said it last year with Buddy Heald, if Buddy Heald could get to the free throw line, uh, just two more times per game and then hit one more three, he can go from averaging, you know, 12 point something to almost 18 points per game. Just a small tweak here and there. I think mm-hmm. De'Aaron Fox can do the same exact thing he did last year where he averaged 17 points per game. Um, but I think he can get to 20 points per game with just getting to the free throw line the additional four times per game that he's going to get to because A, he'll get the respect and B, he's added the bulk and the mass upper body to take more hits 
so it doesn't just look like he's getting flung around everywhere. You can actually see the contact being drawn, um, and, and it doesn't look like someone just flopping some of the time uh, because they're so light, they're just getting sent. So I think it's really intriguing, and, and I've been impressed uh, with sort of his de development throughout the summer, his development last year. Um, but you've been around long enough to see uh, a guy like Mitch Richmond go through the Team USA experience. Um, a guy like DeMarcus Cousins go through the Team USA experience. What is it, what do you see that these guys get out of the experience of playing for the national team and being coached by some of the great coaches in, in the world, not just, you know, in the NBA with Coach K coming around? And, um, but what do, you, what do you like about that process? Well, I think it's, it's very simple. Surround yourself with excellence and it, and it rubs off. And if you can be a part of any organization like that, where you've got marquee players, showcase athletes, uh, you see their work ethic, you get the, the confidence that comes with, you know, working under the guidance of a Coach K, or uh, in, in this instance now, uh, Greg Popovich and his staff, Steve Kerr is on that staff. You're talking about some of the elite coaching minds of basketball. And it, and it just, it has to help. It has to to make you a better individual. I'm sure it helps improve work ethic. Uh, athletes are so competitive and they welcome challenges like that. Now, by the same token, you say, well, then why did the Aaron, why did Marvin Bagley step away? Uh, I think initially, and you probably have a much better feel for this James than I do, but their initial commitment was for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And then they show enough that they are absorbed into the actual uh, team. And then comes the opportunity for all of this travel to move on to Australia and to China. And then of course the Kings are going to be playing in India for a couple of preseason games. That's an inordinate amount of travel early on these young bodies. So I, I have mixed feelings about the fact that both Bagley and Fox step away because I think they miss further opportunities to be surrounded with that type of excellence. But by the same token, I think they're very heady in realizing I want to be specifically geared to helping my team improve, become more competitive, and I want to be as strong as I possibly can be to start that 82-game marathon. You are listening to the Kings Insider Podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. Wendy's one and only spicy nuggets are back on the menu. Turn up the heat with your favorite nuggets, or try the bacon jalapeno chicken sandwich, original spicy chicken sandwich, or spicy jalapeno bacon fries. Spicy Nuggets are here for a limited time at participating restaurants. Wendy's, we got you. Now let's get back to the program. I think the one thing I'll point out to people too is that the season was actually moved back a week this this year because of mm -hmm. the uh, the FIBA World Cup. It's starting later because it, it really does push up against the NBA season. Um, I know for a fact that Marvin Bagley showed up to Team USA as a select team member expecting to play for one week, uh, get his foot in the door, get a taste for what Team USA is. Plus, there's a ton of bigs, some of them with a little bit more experience than him, um, but a lot of guys that are all around his size on the select team specifically, you know, Jared Allen, Jaron Jackson Jr. You know, there's a lot of guys that they brought to camp, Mitchell Robinson. And so standing out amongst those guys wasn't going to be easy. So Marvin Bagley fully walked in expecting to be there a week and then go home and get back to finishing his, his summer workouts. Uh, he's got an upcoming album, uh, you, whatever you call it now, dropping 
Um, you know, so mm-hmm. he had other plans. With Fox, he was given a two week notice that, hey, look, you're gonna you're gonna be there's a good chance that you're gonna make the team because we have these injury issues with Kyle Lowry and you know, either way we, we think you're an up and comer. Um, I was surprised by his decision to walk away, uh, mainly because I had spoken to him the night before, like while in post game of Team USA. He didn't know if he was going to be traveling to Australia the next day because he hadn't been told yet if he, if they were taking everybody or if he was going to be invited. Um, and so it was this sort of a strange conversation. But at the same time, he had just gone out and played six minutes and he expected to be a much bigger part of it. And I think at a certain point, you have to weigh the, the experience of it versus what it's going to do to you and what the ripple effect could be for your team down the road. And I think he wants to have a tremendous season. And he saw this as a potential speed bump in that season, that there would come a point where the the miles, I, I did the math and it was something ridiculous. Uh, you're looking at, you know, like 4,600 miles to Melbourne, uh, Australia. And then you're looking at, from there, you're looking at thousands and thousands of miles to get to China. I'm not even quite sure why they figured those two places would, would work. Uh, and then just a trip home. I mean, we were talking about, you know, another like eighteen to twenty thousand miles that he would put on his body, and then India, which is something like seventeen thousand miles, and that's all before you even get to an eighty-two game schedule. It's absolutely brutal. Right. Uh, so, so I get it. Um, you know, even like for ourselves, like I'm looking at it like, man, could I physically do all of that travel and all of those time zones in that amount of time? So. I understood it. And I also think it's very possible. He's a smart kid. He probably got a lot out of the two weeks of training. And um, so I'm excited to see how that plays out for him and, and what he he kind of brings back to the, the club. Um, that brings up India. And, uh, you know, we're, we mentioned it here a couple of times, but um, you're going to be on that plane. And how excited are you for just another new experience because you've done so much be it from racing or from the kings and going to china and going to all of these places but this is different this is the first time the nba has been to india uh, for something like this to actually play a game um how much are you looking forward to that trip well excuse me it's it's exciting because it is a part of the world that i've never been exposed to and I've, I've been blessed to have a lot of international opportunities over the years. Um, it's going to be a grind in terms of the travel, and it's a very short stay. And you play uh, two games, uh, Indiana Pacers, back-to-back, and you turn right around and fly back to the United States. But it's it's an interesting experience, and I think it's one that we've all known was kind of out there since Vivek Ranadive became involved with the Sacramento Kings organization. And I, I can only imagine how excited Vivek is in seeing – his team being the first to represent the NBA in his in his native land, and you know Harrison Barnes spent some time there earlier in the mm-hmm. in the summer and had great great things to say about the experience. And the people are so hungry in that country uh, for for more exposure to NBA basketball. And so those things, I think that rubs off on everybody, and we're all excited. And it's it's an unknown, and you don't quite know you know what it may entail. But I do know that from my previous opportunities with NBA travel on an international basis, the Kings going to Japan early on, they've been to China a couple of different times, to Mexico City, 
the NBA does things right. And so a lot of the things that might be more of a challenge to the everyday international traveler uh, won't be nearly as cumbersome for those who are involved in, in this King's adventure and going to India. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be fun to, you know, see what this new core group of Kings looks like with the new coaching staff. I think it'll be provide a tremendous bonding experience, even though it's a very quick kind of a whirlwind type of trip, but it's an intriguing way to start uh, year number 35 with the Sacramento Kings. All right, so I don't want to keep you all day. We're, we're talking to Gary Gerald, the longtime radio voice of Sacramento Kings. You're a busy man. You, you get pulled all over the place during the offseason. Um, there is no offseason for any of us, for the most part. Um, but there are two more things I want to ask you about. Um, number one, um, I, I watch you come in and introduce yourself to every single new incoming king. And um, some of them take to it. Uh, you know, like they embrace that your, your niche is different, your media, but your, you travel with the team. Um, you've been doing this for a long time and there's a respect factor. Some of them, you know, like they, they just look at it and say, okay, it's another person introducing myself, uh, introducing themselves to me. Uh, but one player in particular that I've seen sort of glob on and, and, and it, he's got a heart of gold, and it's something that I just want to ask about. Um, but what are your thoughts on on Harry Giles and sort of his personality off the court and what he sort of means and, and can mean to uh, chemistry and culture and things like that? I I love this young man, and I, I am uh, – excuse me. I look at him and I look at the potential and I look at the the challenges that he has faced from a physical standpoint, the surgeries with his knees and one thing or another and the, the slow progression, the way the Kings organization has brought him along since they, they brought him in from the collegiate ranks. I'm excited for Harry. And I, he's, he reminds me a little bit of, of, of a Wayman Tisdale of a Chris Weber in the big smile that can light up an arena and I love his interaction with fans, and I love that he has embraced Sacramento. And the thing that intrigues me, James, is that I'm 79 years old, and we're talking about 19, 20, 21-year-olds when they come into the Kings organization. I mean, you talk about a generation gap, but I want, I want them to know that, that I am on their side, that I am behind whatever they do, and I want to encourage, I want to I want to develop a relationship, a rapport with these people that is that is genuine, that is earned. And it's, you know, it never hurts when you've got a veteran player because, you know, they take on the youngsters and, and for them to maybe whisper in, the, in a young man's ear, it says, you know, G-Man's okay. He's, he's one of us. Well, that's, that's great. And I love, love the fact that almost for the most part, that's always the case within the King's family and the King's organization. So I'm lucky from that standpoint, but for Harry, I, I mean, I'm amazed at some of his skills, his basketball instincts, his passing ability, uh, the way he sees the floor. Does he have a lot of work to do to become an everyday NBA player? Absolutely. But, but he will, he accepts that challenge and he goes after it. But I just, you know, we all have favorites, whether we want to admit it or not. 
And I will openly say that Harry Childs has very quickly become one of my all-time favorite Sacramento Kings, plain yeah. and simple. That's that's interesting. I mean, it's interesting because you you've had uh, the opportunity to to be close to every single one of these guys over the course of your thirty-five years, and I mean that's hundreds and it's in the thousands of players. Um, and I see it. I see the way that he embraces uh, just being there you know, having this experience in life, but I also see the way that he's embraced you. And I, I think just, he stands out as someone who, um, it, it's a little different and it's special. And, and I, and I love that side of him, um, on the flip side of the coin. And that's not a, a, a dig. Uh, we've seen DeMarcus cousins, uh, have another catastrophic injury and you're someone who spent time with him, um, you know, during your your time, his time here in Sacramento, six and a half seasons he spent. Um, just what are your your thoughts on Demarcus and sort of what's happened to him, and, and what do you what are your feelings towards him at this point? Well, I have a great amount of compassion because uh, you don't want to see any athlete or any individual have to go through not only one significant injury, but to go through multiple experiences. And we all know, I think, how hard DeMarcus has worked since the Achilles injury to come back and to get his body as best prepared as he can to, to compete. He has a passion and a love of the game. And I, I just I, I cringe when I think about what he has to go through, not only from a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint and trying to make the preparation. And I, I wish him nothing but the, the very best in, in that respect. Uh, DeMarcus and I were not close. He, he's a unique individual. Uh, I have great, great respect for his basketball skills and his ability. Uh, I did not have great respect for some of his antics on the floor, and I got tired, along with many other people, at the constant moaning and groaning and the byplay with officials, and it wears people down, I think, over a period of time. So there, there's a positive and there's a negative, but I, I have genuine respect for his skills and the fact that he is an individual. It is his life. It is his career. And he goes about it as he sees fit. And who am I to question any of that? So here's hoping that somehow he can bounce back from still another significant injury and find a way to, you know, to continue to earn a good livelihood and have an impact in the NBA. Very, very well said. Very well said. Um, all right, hey, Gary, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's always a pleasure, and and I hope you get to you do this as long as you want to do this. And, and I, I absolutely love that, that you take time out of your day to spend it uh, with someone like myself, and uh, I'm really excited about year number 35 uh, for not only Sacramento Kings but you because uh, these are milestones, and, and we all deserve <laughs> milestones. This will be my 10th year covering the Sacramento Kings, um, and, and that's a milestone for me, but it's nowhere near the, uh, the milestone that you're, you're achieving this year. So I, I'm very excited for you. Well, thank you, James. I, I do appreciate that. I, and again, I'm, I'm the lucky one. I'm, I've been blessed to have this opportunity and I, I love it. And I look forward to this season and I'm excited about things and let's, let's let the adventure begin and let's see how it all begins to, to play out. I look forward to it. And uh, wish you the best in, in, as you achieve your 10-year milestone. All right. So that is Gary Gerald, the longtime voice of the Sacramento Kings. 
Uh, and that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Insider podcast on NBC Sports California brought to you by Wendy's. We'll be back next week. We'll have another interesting guest. Thanks so much for tuning in. All right, you've been listening to the Kings Insider podcast brought to you by Wendy's. If you haven't already, please visit Apple Podcasts or Google Play to subscribe. And if you like our podcast, give us a rating and a review. We would really appreciate it. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at NBCS Authentic. We'll be back next week. Thanks for tuning in, Kings fans. We'll see you very soon. 